This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Ayana Contreras is a DJ columnist at Downbeat Magazine and a radio maker here at Chicago Public Media. She is the content director of WBEZ's sister station, Vocalo Radio, where she hosts her weekly show, Reclaimed Soul. And now she can add author to her list of accolades. Now, in her new book, she explores the cultural contributions of Black Chicago's artists and entrepreneurs and how that work still influences creatives today. It's called Energy Never Dies, Afro-Optimism and Creativity in Chicago. WBEZ's Natalie Moore recently sat down with her to talk about her writing process and what she hopes readers will take away from the book. Congratulations. I know that this has been a labor of love for years, so I'm thrilled for you that it's out in the world. I love the cover, and I would put this as artwork in my house. We're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but this cover is so fly. (laughs) Can you tell us about the image on the front? Right. You know, so I have a, a, a large collection of old Ebony magazines. And so the image is literally an advertisement for Afro Sheen products that was created by the Vince Colors Advertising Agency, which was one of the early black advertising firms here in Chicago. And it just always struck me as being really beautiful and iconic. And when they asked me, the press asked me what I wanted for the cover, it was the very first thing that came to my mind and I just really was pleased as punch that I was able to make that happen. And it's a mother and a child with beautiful Afro crowns. Yeah. No, it's it's a really beautiful picture. And even taken out of the context of the advertisement, I felt like it really does communicate this sort of intergenerational conversation that I was trying to weave throughout this book. And throughout the book, you use the word Afro-optimism to describe Black Chicago. But I first want to talk about Afro-pessimism. What is it and why do you have such a visceral reaction to it? I mean, Joe. Like, okay, so (laughs) (laughs) with the whole Afro-pessimism thing, like, it's not a word that you necessarily hear in casual conversation. But in the academy, it is sort of a, a hot phrase right now. And essentially what it means is that people are doomed by the fact of their blackness. And just that whole concept seems so counter to everything that has gotten we as black people as far as we've gotten in the world. Now, that's not to say that that I'm ignoring the negativity or or even the oppression that is all around us. But what I'm saying is you can't wallow in that. It's it's not productive. And it's this balance when you want to highlight or talk about structural racism and the problems that African-Americans face in this country, but balancing that with the ingenuity and the creativity. And so Afro-optimism. Correct. What does that mean to you? So for me, it's just this this idea of you can't talk about self-determination and couch it in Afro-pessimism. Theoretically, the whole concept of Afro-optimism is rooted in self-determination, this idea that you determine your own destiny, that you are not doomed by the fact of blackness, you know, to bring that phrase back. I think ultimately what I wanted to convey was that we have some agency over certain things, specifically the ways in which we represent ourselves in the world, the way we manifest our creativity in the world. And I wanted to really focus on that. And where do you see Afro-optimism manifest itself in Chicago? Honestly, I think that 
Leslie Guy, who is not from Chicago, but came to Chicago to work Mm -hmm. at DuSable, she comes out and says to me in a conversation I had with her fairly early on, and it's in in the book fairly early on as well, she said to me that the thing about Chicago is that it's, well, black Chicago specifically, I should say, it always feels like it's on the verge of spring. And just that concept of feeling like something better is afoot, that something better is possible, the sort of forward-leaning energy is something that I've experienced my whole life being here and something that I wanted this book to also manifest and showcase. Speaking of energy, the title comes from something your grandmother, Phyllis Flowers, once told you. Take us back to that conversation. Okay, here we go. So <laughs> she, we were at her kitchen table in West Chesterfield, and she told our family that she had stage four cancer and everybody in the family was obviously very, very torn up. And she and I were sitting at the table um, right across from each other. And she and I both were not boohooing. We're just sort of meditative in that moment. And one member of our family just literally got upset and was like, why aren't you all freaking out? Because, you know, she's dying. I don't understand why, blah, blah, blah. Right. And so my grandmother took a breath. You know, keep in mind, my grandmother was a hippie, right? She was 1960s, very, like, free-thinking individual. She just took a breath and she said, well, you know, energy never dies. And at that moment, I was working on my book. And at the very next moment, I said to myself, that's the title of the book. I mean, there was no other idea that so quickly crystallized what I was trying to convey in this book. I love that title. I mean, the cover, the title, all of it is so perfect in setting up what you're doing in the book. Uh, We can't talk about everything that you touch on, but tell us some of your favorite Black cultural touchstones or moments. You know, the thing about Chicago is I could probably write a series called Energy Never Dies, For the purpose of this book, I wanted to highlight some things that maybe have a little bit of street cred, but maybe their their lore doesn't travel outside of the South or the West sides of Chicago. So one of those would be the Black Fairy play that was at the Better Boys Foundation back in the 1970s. It's this play that's got this beautiful soundtrack and this Afro-Cobra artwork on the cover. And my grandmother had a copy and I just fell in love with it. And when I found out the story of that play, it just really enveloped me. And, you know, long story short, I found out that Robert Townsend, when he was in high school on the west side of Chicago, was a part of that play. And he credited that scene for having given him the idea that there was a place for him in the performing arts. I'm really glad you brought that up because I noticed that you were very intentional about including the West Side in your book and noting that South Side often becomes shorthand for Black Chicago. So with this play you just mentioned was on the West Side. Um, talk about why it was important to make sure that our West Side brothers and sisters weren't overlooked in this book. Part of what makes Black Chicago, TM, so special is the richness that comes from the American South. And because of the nature of the waves of the Great Migration, 
I think that Southern energy is a little fresher on the West Side in a lot of ways. And that's number one reason why I felt like it needed to be included in there. But secondly, I just really have felt very welcome and embraced by all my West Side people in Everything I wrote in this book, I was thinking very audience first. I wanted to make sure folks really felt included and affirmed in every possible way. You're listening to Reset. I'm Natalie Moore in for Sasha Ann Simons. And that's Ayana Contreras, content director of WBEC sister station Vocalo. We're talking about her new book about how optimism and courage fuel the dreams of Black Chicago. It's called Energy Never Dies. You're a DJ, and this book is a collection of your personal archives and a lot of media. How does radio influence your approach to this book? Honestly, it's very funny because when they were doing line edits and working with the text, some of the ways in which we write for radio were kind of foreign to the folks who were editing the book. And they were like, why did you do it this way? And I said, oh, I'm writing for radio. I'm sorry. I've got to switch that up. For instance... We don't use semicolons, right? Like the sentences are very short for radio because you want to include one, you know, thought per sentence, essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it definitely sort of stretching out in this this format was one of the number one things that wound up having to happen. So kind of reverse engineering my thoughts away from the radio style was one thing. But then secondly, I was really intentional of including people's first person narratives as much as possible, you know, whenever possible and uncut as much as possible. I really wanted to include as many voices as possible, which definitely comes from radio. I'm not sure if you embrace this and I don't mean to say this to embarrass you, but I feel like you're the heir apparent to the legendary DJ Herb Kent. (laughs) And he also bridges generations the way that you do in the stories that you tell. Um, It's always like, wow, I didn't know that. How do you see yourself? Well, you know, honestly, back in the day when I was maybe, I don't know, say high school, I was listening to Herb Kent's show. And I, I, I remember back then thinking, oh, man, one day he's going to retire And I don't want this thing to go away, this thing that he was doing, you know, on the weekends with the Dusties when he goes away. And I want to be ready. And I stayed in my little school books and I studied and I listened to people's stories. And as you know, I've been interviewing people for 15 years plus just trying to, you know, get the stories right. And, you know, that's not kind of how that's not how my life turned out. I didn't wind up replacing Herb Kent, who could replace him. But I do take comfort in the fact that. I was able to sort of sit at his feet metaphorically and kind of understand the way in which he captured stories, the way he served as a griot for black Chicago in so many ways. Well, you're definitely a remix. You know, no one's replacing anybody. That's why I look at it as an heir apparent. The the baton is passed to you. So in Chicago, we have so many nightclubs and music venues that are closed. Ebony and Jet aren't here anymore. The Afro Sheens and Ultra Sheens don't exist the way that they did. But there is new energy in Chicago. And I didn't know that you were a volunteer with U Media. And you witnessed a lot. Tell us about some of the folks who are now big names who you knew in high school. Yeah, so I started out here at WBZ and wound up working there as that was like my job for two or three years in my little interim period and 
what was apparent to me was that these kids, and I say these kids because these, these children were 16, 17 years old when I met them, were so remarkably talented that I had so much faith that they were capable of literally taking over the world. And so I would be sitting at the library and watching Chance the Rapper perform, you know, at his, what it was, five day and became 10 day. I saw um, No Name. First time I saw her, she had these knee socks on and a little yellow dress. And she was just adorable and remarkably talented. A long list of people now that are sort of shorthand for the kind of young Chicago alternative urban scene. I saw them as they were really coming into their own and just really affirmed this concept of energy never dies in so many ways for me. And Chance offered you his shoes, I believe, that <laughs> you wrote. Right. So the very first time I met him was at the space at the Harold Washington Library, the U Media space, and he was wearing these green boat shoes, like teal green boat shoes. And I said to him that I really liked those shoes. And he took them off of his feet and he said, hey, you want them? And he's just, you know, now we talk about Black Boy Joy, but what he is and what he was, you know, representing at that moment was so authentic and so real you know he's not putting on an act is what I'm trying to say (laughs) you have a quote that I love about Chicago in the book and it says we are deeply rooted in the past but you must understand that our past as black Chicagoans was rooted in the audacity of the belief that we have a future can you explain that exactly So I would never consider Chicago to be a backwards city, black Chicago to be a backwards space. I think, though, we definitely have a reverence for things that have come before us. And from what I've been told, that's not always the case in all communities. A deep reverence for it and respect for things that are considered throwback or vintage or what have you. But at the same time, Chicago has a history of being, like especially black Chicago, very progressive in its ideals and uh, tastes. And, you know, you have to think about that when you're thinking about being so um, into what happened before. It's like really you're into sort of the progressiveness of it in some ways, like the fact that that thing still has some real joie de vivre in it. It's not a dead thing. What are some hidden gems or overlooked cultural connectors who you hope readers learn about that you are really happy to write about? Hmm. You know, one person that I was really pleased to be able to talk to was uh, Ben Lamar Gay, who I think of as a poet in a lot of ways because the way that he talks about his artistry, his connection to the city is so beautiful He's a member of the AACM, um, a jazz musician maybe is the simplest way to express it, but he's also a producer and has released a couple of pretty exciting albums, a few exciting albums on the International Anthem record label. I was also really excited uh, to talk to Reggie Torian, who's no longer with us, but he was uh, handpicked by Curtis Mayfield to sort of replace him in the impressions not long after Curtis left that group and sort of how Reggie Torian talked about how he took that role so seriously as a young man who had grown up listening to the impressions. 
was such a beautiful story. And then full circle, he wound up playing Curtis Mayfield in a really, really well-received play through the Black Ensemble Theater. Some of those stories really touched me, and I was happy to be able to share them with other people as well. Well, scholars and media mavens look back decades from now and call where we are now a point of renaissance in Black Chicago. I hope so. It's so easy to sort of have a revisionist history of what's come before and also a romanticized view of what's come before. But I know for a fact that what's been happening here in the past, let's say, seven, eight years, maybe 10 years, has been directly connected to creative people feeling like they don't have to leave here to grow and get international accolades. I don't know that that was always the case, and I know that there was definitely a period where that was not the case for a lot of creative people, specifically musicians, but definitely not exclusively musicians. So the fact that that climate has changed, especially in black Chicago, is something to be heralded and something to recognize and celebrate. That's Ayana Contreras, content director of WBEZ sister station Vocalo. We've been talking about her new book, Energy Never Dies. Ayana, congrats again, and I'm so happy for you, and it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Natalie. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.